There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt and I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, Snowflakes. Hello, Richard. I'm back. You're back. You're back. And we're so glad to have you back because, of course, that means, and we should say this right at the top of the podcast, there will be a Brexiteer of the Week this week. There will be. Excellent news. So Um, much choice this week. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, we weren't exactly uh, short of choice uh, in the weeks that you've been off either, Steve, but but we think it's yours. It's your brand. You own it. So we didn't want to step on your toes. and um, we've, so we we've got do... exciting news, haven't we? We've got a, we've got a great guest. We have um, the uh, well Fleet Street legend um, Michael White um, spent decades at the Guardian, of course, um, but now finally he's making his name in journalism by writing for the New European. I feel I feel that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so he's been with us since pretty much day one, I think, on the New European, hasn't he? Certainly within the first few uh, few issues, he was writing, and I'm sure you've all enjoyed. His commentary on the um, Brexit brouhaha over the past few years. So you'll be joining us in a few minutes. Um, we will do a quiz. I believe there's a quiz. I've looked through the notes, Steve, and I see there's a fine quiz. Yeah, there's a quiz. So that's good fun. There will be a Brexit of the week. Um, and before all that, we should do some news. It's it's been pretty newsy, hasn't it? Um, for your it return, it has been a newsy old uh, a newsy old time. I'm glad to see everything's been sorted out while I've been away. Yes. Did you have um, a nice holiday? We should ask you. And you had a I birthday. Had a In fact, holiday. I had a birthday as well while you were away. We've all I had, had a our birthday. Birthdays. I had a holiday, uh, and I've come back to uh, to uh, chaos. <laughs> chaos with not with Ed Miliband. Um, <laughs> yes. Chaos with Boris Johnson. It's been good. Can I read you a quote? Oh, yes, please do. Britain does not break treaties. It would be bad for Britain, bad for our relations with the rest of the world, and bad for any future on trade we may need to make. As Harold Macmillan said recently, we used to stand for good faith. That is the greatest strength of our commerce overseas. And now we are being asked to tear up a treaty into which we solemnly entered. Do you know who said that? Um, I I do, actually, but I'll let you do the big reveal. It's Margaret Thatcher speaking to the Conservative Group for Europe in 1975. Yeah, yeah. What would she have made of of this, do you think? Because, you know, for for all her many failings, um, I think she was probably a woman of her words, do you? I'm not sure, yeah, I'm not sure she would have contemplated doing what the government is... uh, contemplating doing is about to do is 
using as a ruse to end the talks, uh, whatever, or all things that we will discuss later on. But I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure that of all the madcap schemes, even latter day Mrs Thatcher would have come up with trying to rewrite an agreement that she'd signed and won an election on. Uh, six months previously would not have been um, would not have been uh, something that she would have done nine months previously. Rather, no, than that I anyway. agree. I agree completely. I agree completely. Um, that, I mean, that has been uh, that was an incredible moment in the House, of course, when Brandon Lewis was talking. Um, we we shocked, or does nothing shock you anymore? It's I'm I'm nothing shocks me from this bunch anymore. That's absolutely right. It was a, a remark, another remarkable moment, wasn't it? And they just seem to come every day. And, you know, I think we'll be asking Michael, Michael, you know, Michael who's obviously spent years and years, I think he started in the, at the, at the Guardian or in the 1960s, in the early 1960s. And, and you know, I mean, I, I cannot remember, you know, I've been watching, I've been obsessed with politics for, you know, 40-odd years now. Michael's obviously been working at the sharp end for, for even longer than that, and, and I cannot remember a crazier time. Um, so we're, we're going to be asking him about that. Um, and um, what, what, what else has, has caught your eye? I mean, there's no more than six people in any sort of gathering from Monday, isn't there? That's right. I mean, he, he, I, I, I watched... The coronavirus it. takes the weekend off, doesn't it? Which, <laughs> yeah. Which is I was... Why. It was interesting that, um, you know, obviously I watched Boris uh, address the nation. It was a bit of a throwback, really. I felt, I felt like um, felt like we'd come back in time a bit, you know, the, the lectern and Boris with experts at either side of him. You know, it took me back to those halcyon days of, uh, of, of lockdown. Um, but he, he said he, he understood that the, the advice had become uh, complicated and he wanted to simplify it. And then I think went on to not really simplify it at all. I mean... There's, if you go onto the government's website today, there's a question and answer thing about the new guidance. And it's fiendishly difficult. It runs in about 45 pages long. Mm. Um, I mean, what is, a, what is a COVID marshal? What are they expected to do? Do they have powers of arrest? Do they have powers to shut down businesses? No, no. Um, what happens if you've got five children uh, and you all want to go to the pub together? What happens if you're in um, madness? What, <laughs> what, happens, what happens if you're Suggs? What, happen, what happens if you're in the polyphonic spree? Well, I, I mean, that's... that's. A, <laughs> I think they all live together in a commune as well. So, I mean, these guys are screwed. There's about uh, 21 so members. Bad, yeah, I don't know how many people are, are actually in madness nowadays. I don't think Chaz <clears throat> Smash is in them anymore, is he? Or, or Carl Smythe, as he's or, or Smith, as he's called. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's all very strange. COVID marshals is is a, I mean, it just that sounds like one of those films that you find on the Sci-Fi Channel, doesn't it? It's like just after Sharknado too. <coughs> COVID marshals. COVID marshals. I really like this poem by Brian Bilston. I don't Go know on. who Brian Bilston is, but people seem seem to share his poems quite a lot on social media. He's hash, he's he's at Brian underscore Bilston, if you want to follow him on Twitter. And he's he's written a poem called Gatherings. All gatherings of six or more shall now be against the law, with no exception to these rules, apart that is from work and schools. We need to act now, or the future's bleak. This comes into effect sometime next week. Mm. Excellent. Wow, 
Very good. I like it, it a lot. I am a fan of the, I am a fan of poetry, and uh, perhaps he could he could submit some poems because there is a there's a poem of the week, of course, in the New European, isn't there? There is indeed. Yeah. So perhaps he could, if he's Brian if he's Bills, listening, he go. could he could submit some because that is an excellent an excellent piece of work. Um, so I think again, messaging is an issue. I know this is. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm literally writing a column about about the government's messaging um, on this and. And I, I know it's difficult for them, but it is it, again, it's not particularly clear as much as Boris says it is. And then all this stuff about, oh, we can get people tested within 20 minutes. And I mean, experts come out um, today and we record obviously on Thursday. I'm sure this will carry on unraveling over the, uh, through into Friday and across the weekend. But one expert said to have a testing system like that and be able to test half a million people a day and get their results back in between, Boris said, Boris Johnson said between twenty and ninety minutes would cost a hundred billion pounds, which is the which is the, it's the same as the entire uh, the same as the entire defence budget, isn't it? And it yeah. and it's two thirds of what we spend on the entire NHS. I mean, I'm not saying that w- obviously this is going to be expensive, but it just seems unlikely. And I think I think the other risk is, and um, you know, th- I think I think there was elements. <laughs> I mean, I understand that they want to get a positive message out. You know, we can do this, we can get there. But again, politicians putting timelines on things is, is a really bad idea. And this is the second time Boris Johnson has said life could be back to normal by Christmas with regards to this. I don't see it being back to normal by Christmas. And all you're going to do then is get, when we get to Christmas and it isn't back to normal, people's backs up. And, and we, we shouldn't be raising hopes, you know, Without there being some actual concrete hope there, I think I just I, I, it's almost like talking to a to a child and saying you know everything's going to be all right even when you know it isn't. But Boris Johnson isn't talking to children; he's talking to a to a nation. And I think I, I just felt like we needed a bit more honesty. Is not the word, but just I don't know. It just felt it, it felt like they were they were clutching to get a positive message out there when actually. It, there's still not many positives, you know, and I think the, ov- the the real the real truth of it is that the new normal carries with it an element of risk, and that risk is that you might catch coronavirus, um, and that is something that we that is something that as a human race, not just a country, we're going to have to get used to for probably eighteen years, eighteen years, that's something, eighteen months to two years, I reckon. Um, you know, we had bad news this week as well about the about the Oxford vaccine that's been halted because of some um because of some uh, adverse effects to to one of the participants in the testing i don't know i just think uh, you know hope, it's the hope that kills you perhaps steve it is i mean i can understand why boris johnson wanted to talk positively especially after the you know he had a very he had a very uncomfortable time i didn't think keir starmer's performance was particularly great at pmqs on wednesday but but Boris Johnson, his denial that there is anything wrong with the the, the track and trace system, the yeah. testing system, um, that, uh, that there is just nothing wrong at all, that there is no crisis in it. it, it hasn't washed, and it hasn't washed with, with members of his own party, and it hasn't no. washed with people, uh, commentators who are sympathetic to Boris Johnson. So, um, so I can understand why he did. I wanted to come up with it, the moonshot. Um, yeah, interesting that moonshot. Moon but it did have a a bit of a. It carried with it a whiff of 
we're working on a super weapon which will change the the entire course of the war you yeah know what i mean it, yeah. it it just seemed uh i mean the phrase moonshot alone <laughs> alone i mean he spoke he has spoken about a moonshot before he has which yeah. was the idea that we would we would find a cure for dementia now you know i mean I, I, hopefully this moonshot is i mean hopefully both of those moonshots are very close but <clears throat> but they don't appear to be very close do they and, and well, I, I, and I was I interested in the... a, a, as you say i think it is a dangerous game I'm interested in the phrase start playing. I'm interested in the phrase moonshot. It sounds very much like the sort of um thing a, a, a sort of a marketing agency would get together and let's do some moonshot thinking in some kind of trendy office somewhere all sat on beanbags. But it's actually got a, a slightly different meaning. So I'm going to read you the Macmillan dictionary entry for for moonshot, moonshot thinking, which I think, yeah, so a type of thinking that aims to achieve something that is generally believed to be impossible. Moonshot thinking motivates teams to think big by framing problems as solvable and encouraging anything is possible dialogues around how to solve the challenge. That seems to make sense. It's got a slightly different meaning in in a, in a technological sense. I looked in a, in a technology dictionary, right? Okay, a moonshot in a technology concept, is an ambitious, um, uh, exploratory and groundbreaking project undertaken without any expectation of near-term profitability or benefit, and also, perhaps, without full investigation of potential risks or benefits. Um, I think that be, might be more like Boris's moonshot, really. It's more of a yes. moonshot in the dark, I think, um, rather, yes, than the, right. rather than what he's actually trying to achieve. But it does the marvelous like... night for a moonshot. <laughs> stars up above in your eyes, as Van, Van Morrison once once sang. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, I don't it, know. I, yeah, I, I, he I, he he didn't he didn't fill me with he didn't fill me with confidence. And do we feel that young people have been uh, wrongly blamed for for the, that that spike? Those those pesky magenta red twenty one year olds, as we saw in those yes. um, graphics. Well, I mean, if you if you start if you open the pubs and you open restaurants, and you encourage people to go back to work and you you encourage people to socialise, then the effects of the effects of people gathering are going to are, are clearly going to produce this. So, um, I think the you know the, the sort of the clumsy attempt to 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 make it seem like the entirety of the younger generation are now at an illegal rave in Thetford Forest which has been going on since <laughs> August is is absurd really isn't it? it it is but I do love an illegal rave I mean I, I, I'll give it a year um I'll leave it this year but I'm, I'll be I'll be down there in Thetford Forest with my glow sticks next year you more than welcome to come along Steve repetitive Did you see that man in the uh well that man that lord in the lords uh the other day who who started by he started by saying as somebody who used to organize raves <laughs> and uh it's wow. uh, it's, it's a, i can't remember his name it's a guy called it's a guy um who used to own the ministry of sound i think oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the ministry. who used to organize raves wow. you get that from lord hailsham did you <laughs> in the day is the ministry of still open it's down in elephant and castle wasn't it I don't know whether it's. I, I don't know whether it, I think it's probably closed. I think it's just sort of a brand now, isn't it? Rob? All COVID. 
Oh yes, definitely. I think there is a, was... there's a theory, isn't there, about these? Somebody was when I was in Manchester um, shortly after my return from Naples. Somebody, a friend of mine, was telling me that there's a there's a theory that a lot of these small scale um, raves that are being put on are being. I mean, he he was saying, "Come on, you know, if you're a party organizer like a rave organizer like I was, you shouldn't be doing this because it's damaging the the, the public health." Which is all very well, but the the theory is that these a lot of these raves are being run by gangsters, if essentially uh, drug dealing gangsters. Yeah, to sell drugs. The places that they you know they normally. Uh, apply their trade a lot of those the night nightclubs and festivals etc etc are shut and therefore there's a stockpile of product to get rid of and the best way to get rid of it is setting up hiring a, two or three djs that people might have heard of and then setting up in a field well i've got a much better idea i've got a real do you know what? this is a fantastic idea Go because on. whatever you think of drug dealers they contribute to the economy yeah yes but bear with me um, because they buy, I don't know, BMWs and tinted windows and things like that. And so why not take Rishi Sunak's Eat Out to Help Out Space and change it to, it to tri- Trip Out to Help Out, <laughs> whereby, <laughs> whereby on Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you get half-price ecstasy tablets or Ket or whatever the, whatever the trendy drug these days is. And, you know, you... you you're helping the economy, you're helping the friendly local drug dealer and you're helping um, German, German car makers. I mean, I, I, it's, it's an idea. It's an idea. I don't know what Rishi would think of that. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to, uh, it's going to form the, the, the cornerstone of his <laughs> strategy. What do you, um, do you know what, this government has had worse ideas than trip out to help out. could get you a job with Dominic Cummings. <laughs> Yes. I would have thought. <laughs> it could be a super forecaster. It's just, it's I'd love to be one of the... isn't it, that would... Uh, I've got a great idea. The super forecaster's weekly meetings. If only we could be a fly on the wall. I bet they're brilliant, aren't they? Um, just just come up with anything. There's no such thing as a bad idea. No answer's wrong. It'll be all like, all right, Dom, what about this? We make a massive big rocket the size of Great Britain and we fly out and live on Mars. Um, while tripping out to help out. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's not, no idea is a bad idea. What about, um, did you see this thing uh, in the Sunday Telegraph last week? I know you're a subscriber. Uh, I did see it, yes. Um, the, um, the, the stuff about um, the leaked cables that were, yeah. cable, the, um, the, the leaked cables um, about Donald Trump and Theresa May, that was particularly funny, I thought. That was excellent. Yeah, yeah. So right. tell us a bit about. So if if I, I expect a lot of our readers probably don't pick up the don't take the tele, Daily Telegraph, uh, Sunday Telegraph, or Daily Telegraph. In fact, so um, f- I think the highlights in. were he said, um, what did he say? He said Theresa May congratulated him on the splendor of the White House, and he said it's really amazing, isn't it? It's it's great, and he but he said I. Oh, oh, I want, I've heard Buckingham Palace is even greater. In him. <laughs> I'd rather be in Buckingham Palace because that's greater or something like that. I don't know whether he was positioning himself to run for king. Um, when king of the world, uh, that's what Boris Johnson wants to be. When his presidency runs out. Maybe, yeah, maybe that would be it. Um, and um, 
he also didn't what, what else did he say he also said um he, he, what did he say about putin he said he basically he had to deal with them he said this he's got a thousand nukes this isn't just some guy from the congo um so he said that but the, i mean the, the thing that got the most play was the fact that a few minutes after sitting down to for, for talks with Theresa May, he asked this question, why isn't Boris Johnson the Prime Minister? Didn't he want the job? Which is a hell of a, a question to ask to the Prime Minister, isn't it? It's a, it, uh, I mean, I, and you can just imagine Theresa May trying to be very diplomatic and quite awkward in this yes. situation, can't you? And sort of trying to explain to him. <laughs> trying to, yes, exactly. Trying to explain to him in a normal, normal manner. Um, this was, of course, the famous meeting where they held hands because he's afraid of slopes, isn't he? That's right, he is, yes. Um, so he said, why isn't Boris Johnson the Prime Minister? Didn't he want the job? Uh, Mrs May then explained how the Tory leadership race played out that Boris Johnson had withdrawn after losing the support of Michael Gove, to which Donald Trump replied, oh, so you were drafted like in baseball. <laughs> He's the leader well, I mean... of the free world. What could possibly go wrong? The whole the, the the beauty of the draft system in American sports um, is that element of uh, of risk, isn't it? So you know maybe maybe we'd be better off drafting prime ministers rather than rather than electing them. What do you think? Uh, that would be uh, yeah, that would be a good idea. We're excited about the return of the NFL, aren't we? Oh, absolutely! It's in game day, baby! It's game day. I'll just put that uh, we're recording this on Thursday. <laughs> I, mean, I guess. You I guess there is a chance that tonight's game or the, the game that was played overnight, because you, you're probably listening to this on Friday, I guess there's a chance that all, it was all called off <laughs> yeah. um, because of apocalyptic skies or, you know... Or, well, or, I, get, I mean, I, I'm, else, but... I'm told that they are having... Um, they, I mean, that, this leads us on quite nicely to the other thing. I mean, um, a colleague of mine was, was talking yesterday to... Um, Norwich City Football Club and they were preparing hopefully to get some fans back in the stadium you know by um, October and there's this very complex system of how you apply for tickets because you can't have a full stadium and all that kind of thing for season ticket holders and etc etc and the the game that is the first game of the NFL is um, uh, the um, it's the Texans, isn't it, against the Kansas City Chiefs? And I believe that they are having some fans in there as well. So they, I mean, they're not doing test things; they're going straight in there. But some, because the state rules are different, some of them are not allowed any fans, and some can have some. Um, so it's a bit of a strange setup. So, it'll be, it, I mean, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be very strange altogether. I mean, they. I listen to a lot of American sports news and things like that, and they're they're. The crowd noise is is really important in the NFL it because is. explain why. Well, during so for home home advantage is is important because when when you are attacking, the quarterback will give um, uh, audibles to the to the to the rest of the the rest of the the, the team. I mean, there's two. There's basically two teams. Every team one defensive and one attacking so he, you know he will tell them what sort of throw he's going to do and where they should run in layman's terms but if the crowd is really loud that you know the, the crowd is really loud the crowd gets loud when the opposition quarterback is throwing it so that hopefully 
his teammates can't hear what he's going to do, basically. So, so what they're actually going to do is they're going to pipe. Um, so, so at the Premier League, they don't have the crowds piped in. It's added for TV or for radio, or I think you can choose whether you want it or not, can't you, on, on Sky or on the Beeb. Um, but it, it, in, in the NFL, it is going to be constant. Um, so it really equals things out um, between the two sides. But also, um, someone explained that it sounds like a sort of jet, a jet constantly flying overhead. It doesn't really sound like a crowd sound. And it's also, I'm told, it's not going to, um, as we've got better over the months of crowd sound in sports in this country, I don't know if you've noticed, but if there's a close chance, you'll get a ooh, or a, I don't know if you've noticed that. It's quite weird, really, isn't it? Um, there wasn't much of that when England played the other night, but um, <laughs> uh, but this is just going to be a sort of constant background, sort of white noise. So I'm very interested to see how that works, um, yes. and, and it, it, it's a fascinating th- things we never thought we would ever have to consider. We are having to consider in this most bizarre of years. Um, another thing which made me laugh this week was things that if you'd heard this time last year, you would never have been able to figure out what had happened in the intervening 12 months. Someone put on Twitter, a political, political slogans you never thought you'd hear, don't kill Gran. <laughs> which, <laughs> which really tickled me. Because, I mean, it's, it's, if, you, if, you were, if, you, if it was our 2019 self seeing that, we'd be like, well, obviously. <laughs> the government is trying to get its message out very clearly. Do not murder your grandparents. Well, there you go. It's it's strange times, Steve. Very strange times indeed. Um, there are. I mean, it is very strange times. This this, this morning, I was reading a, a tweet from Lawrence Fox. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> he's a funny chap, isn't he? I was reading a, reading a tweet from from Lawrence Fox in which he he revealed that he'd been blocked on Twitter by. Um, by um, Rebecca Front, who obviously plays um, plays his 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 boss and Lewis. Well, Lewis is his yeah. boss, I suppose, in Lewis, isn't he? Um, but Re- Rebecca Front plays the, the, the both of their bosses. Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, incredibly all incredibly strange. What is it? I have I don't follow I don't follow him on Twitter. I don't no, actually. I, dis- I don't follow him either. But he did he he did pop up. I think. I, I, I read an, that's what she's called chief superintendent innocent oh that's a brilliant name um it's, it, he's a strange fellow i um i read an article i have some sympathy with him and i'll tell and i'll explain why because um i i know he said some <coughs> excuse me while i cough that's what the mute bin's for richard yes i know i'm sorry um it, it, he he said some Odd stuff, hasn't he? Can you remember what was the what was the strangest? What was the thing that got him in the hot water? Oh, it was on Question Time, wasn't it? What was it he said? Can you remember? He said, "Well, he 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 said that somebody was being racist, wasn't he?" Um, That's right. And he so he has been he he has uh, sort of took it upon himself to be this sort of guardian of free speech, hasn't he? And this anti woke campaign and that sort of thing. And I. I I'm, I, you know, I'm a fan of free speech, uh, as I think most of us are, as long as people don't abuse that free speech. Um, but what? Uh, and he was interviewed in the in the Sunday Times magazine, uh, probably about three or four months ago now, 
And I had some sympathy for him, not because of the stuff he'd said, and some of the stuff he said were, were, were silly, but because he he's he's got half a he's got half a platform and he's got half a reasonable campaign there, but he hasn't but he also has only half a brain um from from the way he was coming across. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice chap, but I'm just not sure he's the person that should be um that should be the guardian of our free speech. You know, you, do you know what I mean? I think he's just, he, he seems like a perfectly nice daft lad. Uh, he, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure he's, I don't know. I mean, he's, 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 is he, he is the sort of archetypal, you know, he's, he is not, he's not half as clever as he thinks he is, is he? And, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, exactly. And right. he, he is determined to share his opinions uh, with the world. Determined, um, absolutely determined, and I think, yeah, and I, actually, I must say that I've, I've very much enjoyed his ex-wife Billy Piper's series. I love Susie. Ah, uh, right, I've uh, not I seen I've this. A couple of, I think I've, I've got a couple of episodes to go. There's been one poor episode so far, mm. uh, and a couple of absolute, uh, absolute cracking episodes. I read, I read the review. I thought it looked, I thought it looked good, and I like the concept. But I, th- I, I, I read one. I'm terrible for reviews. If I read a bad review, I'm. I, uh, there's so much stuff to consume now. There is. Is that if you it, one bad review can literally kill a program for me or an album? Yes, um, and it's bad actually. Because... Not read the reviews of this podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. Um, well, quite. Wait, you know what, um, I I read a white. Um, I, I read a um, I read a review of um, a band. Interestingly, there's a clutch of bands coming out of a small part of West Yorkshire, um, the Calder Valley, basically, Halifax, Hebden Bridge, around there. I've mentioned Working Men's Club on this podcast before. I think they're extraordinary. They are brilliant. But there's another band. There's another band called Lounge Society. The Lounge Society, have you heard of them? No, I've not. They're really good as well. Right, and I read, and I, and and the Orioles, I think, were are a band that have been around for a few years. Who were also from this sort of. You often get this, don't you? Yes, a little like group them. of, um, and and they're all from this sort of same part of the world. Very, very small part of the world. Hardly anyone lives there, but they all seem to be talented musicians. But um, <clears throat> I'd I'd read about Working Men's Club, and, I, and they said, oh, if you like Working Men's Club, you know the, this band as well. And I read a review of their first single, and it rubbished it, and I didn't bother listening. And then I was driving to work this morning, and I had Six Music on, and this song came on, and I was like, wow, this is fantastic. It's like a weird cross between, I mean, it's really sort of lo-fi synth stuff with, um, with <coughs> uh, the, both Working Men's Club and Lounge Society have definitely harked back to sort of the fall and that kind of thing, which we, yes. we, we both enjoy. Certainly you, you love the fall. And I thought, what's this? This is really interesting. It literally could be brand new, or it could be something I've never heard that came out in 1986. And it turns out it's the Lounge Society. It's called Generation Game. It's an excellent single. They've just signed to um, a an indie label that's name name escapes me, but they are. It is fantastic. Go and check it out on Spotify now. But you see, there in there, there proves my point that a review alone, you know, go and experience these things for yourself, people. And I will do that with Billy Piper's. Billy Piper's um, new show. Um, yes. Hey, Steve, Please I see what... it. Perry Let's Mason, do... also very good. Okay, cool. Let's, um, let us... Uh... You've got a quiz. Why don't we do the quiz, <clears throat> and then we'll, we'll, give, we'll give the uh, 
listeners the answers to quiz a little bit later. So you, come on, give us a quiz. What's it on? Well, it's on political slogans this week. Political slogans. Okay. Did you have so, a quiz while I was away? Uh, we did. To uh, and the first week wasn't very good. I did it, and it wasn't very good the first week. Um, the second week we did. Um, it was a bit of a music quiz, really. I gave Matt Withers. It was out of ten. I get Matt give Matt Withers a um, selection of uh, lyrics, and he had to tell me the song and the band. But I, really, I want the song for one point and the political um, uh, the political event that that sparked this piece of artistry. Oh, um, so, okay. political or news event. And sometimes it was a series of news events. So, um, for example, we had uh, Panic by the Smiths. That was written after Morrissey heard the news, uh, breaking news on Radio 1, that the Chernobyl disaster had happened. And in in those first initial news reports, it was very apocalyptic. You know, we didn't know if there was going to be fallout heading towards us or whatever. Um, And then the DJ then played, I think, Club Tropicana by Wham!, um, hence the hang the DJ uh, refrain at the end of Panic. So stuff like that. There was some Public Enemy in there. Um, there was what else was there? Oh, there was uh, Shipbuilding was in there. Yes, fine good. song. <clears throat> so yeah, so we had a bit of fun. So we did do a quiz, but they were I not. Imagine Matt Withers did quite well about that, didn't he? He was he was annoyed um, that he that I sprung this quiz on him, and it, and it was a sort of cultural reference quiz he then moaned that shipbuilding was released when he was only two years old so he didn't get that one but actually he did quite he did do quite well he got about i think he got about six or seven out of ten so he didn't do bad at all he didn't do bad he at all bad. well let's see so how let's, you do with let's this see how i do with this one yeah yeah political slogans quiz uh question one in the 1975 uk referendum on europe each of the parties had their own slogans it wasn't just Come in, you know. Let's let's go in and or let's stay out. Well, you mean like um, the political parties? The political each uh, of the ah, yeah, yeah, parties yeah, 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 had yeah. their own slogans. Yeah, I got another. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. party slogan in the nineteen seventy five referendum on Europe was "Make Britain Great Again"? Um, I do think I know this because uh, there was, I think, oh, years ago we did. A, we did an article in New European about about the nineteen seventy four five referendum, yeah. and I remember that I think Labour's was was Labour's something like Euro, um yes to Europe or something like that, I and think then I think was. and then the Tories was something was because they both backed going to Europe, didn't they? And the Tories was something like. Um, Britain, Britain inside a stronger Europe or something like that. So I, th- I think this was the uh, the National Front. It was the National Front. Make Britain great again. The Conservatives was Britain's New Deal in Europe. Britain's New Deal. Ah, New Deal. Labour was Europe, yes. And the National Front was Make Britain Great Again. And they were campaigning to go into Europe, yeah? Before general election, what Liberal Party slogan, I'm not, it doesn't say which of the general elections, I'm afraid, which Liberal Party slogan was criticised because it sounded like it was encouraging voters to throw up? You know what? I've given you the answer to question one. I shouldn't have done. We should wait until the end, shouldn't we? We should. So I won't tell you. I won't tell you. I won't tell you. We'll, we'll come. We'll do the answers. Um, we'll do the answers later. So rattle through them. So that's two. What? Give us number three. 
Number three, which 1997 campaign slogan for the SNP was also used by Barack Obama's campaign for the Democratic nomination in 2008? Ah, okay, good. And in question four, Dwight D. Eisenhower's presidential election slogan was what? Go on. You know this one, don't you? I like Ike. I like Ike. What was his slogan four years later when he was running for re-election? That's question four. Mm. And in question five, what was the unofficial slogan of Musaji Bamji's successful campaign to be elected Ireland's first Muslim MP in 1992? Okay, so listen. Let's go back to number two then. You got the first one right. You said the no, national... Well, no, we'll, we'll do... We've, we've, got, we've got those now. We'll do the answers just before we do best oh. two of the week to give people a little bit of time to think because I think... We've been joined we, by... We're joined by Mr. Michael White. Michael, are you there? Ah, here he is. We've got Michael White. Michael... Welcome. How are you doing? I'm fine. I feel like the first man landing on the moon. I have made a, a Zoom connection from my phone. It's a big day for me. It's the Michael White moonshot. It's the moonshot. Um, <laughs> oh, don't, don't mention moonshots. No, not now that Boris is using the phrase. <laughs> um, well, uh, we did mention at the top of the pod that you are a very much um, esteemed Fleet Street legend. 35 years on The Guardian, is that right? That sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, former uh, diary writer, Washington correspondent, political correspondent, political editor. We are absolutely over the moon and have been for four years now to have you involved um, with with the with the TNE. So thank you for all you do. I'm sure that our yeah, listeners you. love thank reading you. your stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Steve, over to you. Well, I think we were talking earlier on, Michael, and I think the first thing that that comes to mind is. The last five years, I mean, you've, you've, been, you've been at this a long time. I hope you will forgive me for saying so. Have you ever experienced, in, in the previous 40 <laughs> years that you were working in political journalism, have you, have you experienced anything like the last five years? Um, no. Uh, obviously, uh, the Brexit issue has been the biggest issue in this country, arguably, since we joined, but it's far more disruptive than that. Um, perhaps it's the biggest trauma since Suez in 1956, the secret Anglo-French-Israeli uh, invasion of the Suez Canal, which went horribly wrong when the Americans pulled the plug on the pound uh, before my time. That, of course, its topical point was an illegal action by uh, Anthony Eden's government. They colluded in secret and told lies to Parliament, and Eden was out in a few weeks pleading sickness like they do. Um, but this is different because we saw this week uh, Brandon Lewis uh, get up in the chamber and say, yeah, oh, it is a breach of international law, actually, but it's only a small one. As one of the sketch writers said, it's a bit like saying, you know, I'm pregnant, but only a bit. Um, and uh, the difference I would make in response to your question would be to say that um, the five years have been very disruptive in all sorts of ways, but this last year under the regime of Boris, uh, something completely different. And although he hates the comparison, I'm constantly reminded of a sort of pale version of what we see in the United States under Donald Trump. Um, uh, provocation, cultural warfare, uh, an indifference to the skills of government. Uh, they like to campaign. He likes to be prime minister, but he doesn't put in the work. He doesn't really do the job. He's not as nasty as Trump, of course, but it's I'm afraid it's 
strikingly the similar, the same idea. And when you say, let's break the law, but only a little bit, well, that's sort of sub-Trumpish too, isn't it? So a real break, the real break came last year with Boris and many people who know him very well aren't a bit surprised by that. I mean, people have, as well as the comparison with, with Trump, people have, people often say that this government has got a whiff of what happened in 1992 about it when John Major won unexpectedly and, and then he was beset by all kinds of things. A lot of, the, a lot of it self-inflicted or inflicted internally. Does he remind you of that or? or no, well, I do, I do have a better, a better They can't better do anything right. Um, um, no, Majors was a much more competent government. It was full of uh, people with a lot of experience. Um, you know, Ken Clark was the Home Secretary, then the Chancellor, um, Michael Howard was something important, I forget what. Uh, who was the Foreign Secretary, for heaven's sake? Uh, uh, Douglas Hurd was the Foreign Secretary, head boy at Eton. You can't get a safer pair of hands than that. So a completely different feel to it. Uh, you're right, Major was knocked out of the park by the Sterling crisis of 1992 and to September, six months after the election. And to some extent, that was his own fault because, of course, he took us into Stirl, into the uh, embryo Eurozone. What was it called? The European Monetary System, EMS. Um, the, uh, was it the previous? No, two years earlier at a, at a fairly high exchange rate with the Deutschmark. Different world, all this stuff, isn't it? When mm. exchange rates mattered. And... Um, Nonetheless, it was a pretty serious blow from which the economy recovered quite quickly once we were unshackled by the fixed exchange rate at the wrong rate, too high for the British economy. Then uh, we did quite well and the uh, period of sustained growth continued for most of the Blair-Brown era. In other words, the economy did well out of it, but Major did very badly. They lost trust. Uh, this hasn't happened quite this badly yet to Boris because so many people have got so much invested in him but it's beginning to look that way and he certainly deserves it. That's, this, is, this is very true. Um, it's it's a, an incredibly, I mean the, the competence thing that Keir Starmer clumsily hit on at, at PMQs is, is a, a, a real issue I think. When Brandon Lewis says that we are going to break the law and all the indications are that we are ready to break the law one, I mean, does that matter as much as people say it does? We opened this this podcast with a, a quote from Margaret Thatcher from 1975 when she was saying that treaties mattered and Britain's word uh, around the world was was incredibly important. Does it matter as much as we are uh, as we are saying? Um, is it just a negotiation tactic? Is it a tactic that is? intended to just drive the EU to, to stop the negotiations altogether and then we can just proceed with this disastrous no-deal Brexit, which they, they seem to want. Well, uh, as I say in my column this week in a well-known weekly magazine, um, you're never sure with Boris, is mm. it, use the phrase, clueless idiocy, or is it a, a deliberate uh, negotiating provocation to try and force a deal, a sensible deal, or at least a reasonable one? Um, good enough to get us over the line uh, with the EU in the next month or six weeks? Um, or is it uh, you know, just casual villainy because they don't understand the small print and they don't understand the agreement which Boris signed um, last uh, uh, winter uh, regarding uh, the 
uh, arrangements with Ireland, uh, that the Northern Ireland will stay in the single market and the customs union uh, 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 for now. And the division will be so that there is no hard border between the Republic, very important, Good Friday Agreement, and the Northern Ireland. And the division will be across the eye down the Irish Sea, which is something Boris has always denied, of course, quite blatantly. Again, that didn't used to happen in the in the past, Mrs. Thatcher, John Major, Tony Blair, if you were caught out, you said so. Um, Boris has persistently said there's been, there'll be no division. And now he's trying to say, well, we will unilaterally change this uh, withdrawal agreement, which we signed so recently, ink barely dry, by saying that there will be no impediment on stuff coming into the UK from Northern Ireland, uh, i.e. possibly from the Republic or even the EU, because uh, we have our own internal market, the single market of uh, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. But of course, it's a treaty. And uh, as John Major and everybody else is saying, including lots and lots of Tories, you can't unilaterally um, alter a treaty. You have to get agreement to it and uh, obviously they're not going to get one and that was the dilemma which uh, made Mrs May so cross because she didn't want a division down the Irish Sea and that's what made her make one of her rare outbursts in the chamber on I think Tuesday afternoon. Hmm. Do you I mean obviously you've been you were working during the the worst of the troubles and is that when people say that there is a, a risk that this will bring a return to conflict in Northern Ireland, that the way that this all, all plays out points to, to that kind of thing. Do you think that that is, is that hype or is that, is there some justification for saying that? It's always impossible to say and foolish to predict. I've never been a Belfast or Dublin correspondent and I hesitate to do so. I would flip your question on you and say, it seems as least as likely to me, even though there are idiots who want to exploit this and there are a few people who want to resort to violence as there are in all sorts of situations haven't we seen it in the u.s lately these are rather extremist times uh, but it's just as likely to me that we won't get uh, uh, trouble on the northern ireland border because the people of northern ireland will uh, uh, everybody except the dup will vote to join the republic of ireland mm. uh, and the irony of Boris talking about creating an internal market, you really wonder. This fellow, he's supposed to be very clever, it's never struck me as conspicuously clever, but he was definitely good at passing exams, um, yeah. that, um, <laughs> that, um, uh, that, uh, that they, they, they might break up the United Kingdom. All this is about the United Kingdom, its independence and its uh, sovereignty as a, an independent sovereign country, as David Frost, this negotiator, keeps saying. But you might end up with both Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland and uh, Scotland going their separate ways, and then you would be left uh, uh, with England. Well, England's a pretty interesting place, uh, uh, and it's Wales too, of course, it's less easy to break away. Uh, but it's not what, uh, not what it said on the tin, Boris. No, it does. It makes this, it makes the, well, it makes England standing, England standing alone um, and, uh, and surrounded by, um, by people that used to, it used to have, have as partners, a, a, a very, very likely thing. Um, I mean, is, how do you, how do you think that this is playing out with the EU? They are, uh, I mean, exasperated. Um, I see Michael Gove has now been sent in to, to, to calm things down, which is, do the which trick is 
No, they're exasperated. Yes, some of them are angry. Monsieur Barnier never gets across. He, 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 he looks pained and says, this isn't what they said. You know, this isn't, shouldn't be happening. And, uh, you know, the negotiators, uh, they're not beyond criticism. Barnier um, saying, it may be your water, but it's not your fish. Well, you know, that's as provocative as the Daily Mail or the Daily Express or Ian Duncan Idiot in its own way. Um, uh, Monsieur Macron, the French president, spoke to... Um, to Boris during the week. I wonder how good Boris's French really is. Macron's English is as good as mine. Um, and um, he refuses to get cross. Um, and uh, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the commission president, was also sort of polite but puzzled. I think privately they're a lot crosser. And back to John Major's point, breaking international treaties is very bad for credibility. And one of these days, who knows, the financial markets may decide it's time to uh, sell sterling. And then we're in a lot of trouble because we buy an awful lot of stuff overseas. It's uh, yes, it's a, it's a, a deeply worrying, uh, a deeply worrying prospect. How, how do things improve for Boris Johnson? You know, we were talking about the, the major administration there, a new disaster around the corner. Uh, all the time, some of them uh, self-inflicted as they as they desperately tried to policy their way out of the the hole that they uh, that they dug for themselves. How do things improve? I mean, I, I guess a vaccine would improve yep. things. A vaccine from Oxford University tomorrow would be just terrific. Uh, but as the scientists who stand beside uh, Boris at the press conference say, we're back again. What a familiar uh, grim sight yesterday mm. afternoon. Time bad news. The scientists make it pretty clear that this is uh, uh, not a long shot, but certainly a long way to go, and it isn't going to be a magic cure. And the British Medical Journal had an overnight estimate from inside Whitehall, a leak, which said that uh, that would cost 100 billion to vaccinate us all. We're not clear how effective a vaccine is going to be or for how long. Uh, there are lots of others coming on around the world. So I don't see much of an easy get-out-of-jail card for Boris there. Um, everybody sympathizes with the dilemma of a government facing this dreadful, um, uh, weird pandemic crisis. But, um, you know, they only extend their sympathy if they see the government doing the right thing and doing it honestly and owning up to its mistakes. Uh, not to mention its mistakes on A-level test and tracing, uh, planning laws, and many other things uh, which are piling up against them. So it's pretty difficult, and a very seasoned Labour politician known to everybody listening said to me a few weeks ago, I think the Tories are going to have two prime ministers before they face Keir Starmer at an election. I think Boris will go. Then they'll have another Brexit headbanger, I think was the phrase he used, but we won't use it here, will we? Um, and then they'll try a moderate and see if they can save the day with somebody reasonably competent and sensible. Although there is not a long queue of them waiting to take over, is there? Maybe Jeremy Hunt, remember him? Yes, um, but you think that we've got a, a headbanger to come. Um, I, I wanted to, I mean, you talked touch on Keir Starmer then. I, I, I do want to ask you about how you think he is faring uh is he you know we've sort of dragged labor back from the 26 points down i think to to uh, they were level pegging the other day weren't they yeah. the two or three two or three down <clears throat> in the most recent polls but 
I'm not sure he's. I'm not sure it's it's cutting through uh, in quite the manner that um, that it was expected to do. And and part of the reason for that is is clearly Brexit, isn't it? And and Keir Starmer is running was running away from that at PMQs, stayed away from it. Is he right to? to stay away from, from Brexit until things play out? And, and what have your, been your impressions of his sort of early, uh, the early part of his leadership so far? Well, uh, Starmer isn't an all-singing, all-dancing, um, jokey Daily Telegraph columnist, but it'd be an idiot to try and be one. Uh, during the Second World War, before my time, um, Clement Attlee never made the mistake of attempting to think he could ever, you mm. know, do pyrotechnic stuff like Churchill, he accepted his role was to be dull and dutiful and do the detail. And I think that's a good comparison, although Starmer, interestingly enough, says he admires Harold Wilson most because he was a good party manager, uh, knew when to shut up, a bit devious, said things which meant different things to different people. Mm. Sounds deplorable, but um, uh, he doesn't tell lies in the way that you know who does. Uh, so what he's trying to do, I think, is build up a reputation for quiet competence and honesty, persevering. Uh, does he soft-pedal Brexit? Yes, I think he thinks uh, the issue is settled. We're leaving. Let the, the, They said they could do it. Let them do it, and we'll see how they get on. Um, Prime Minister's question time yesterday, I was surprised that he didn't raise uh, the matter of uh, the uh, breaking the international uh, treaty, which we've been talking about here. Uh, but my old Guardian colleague, John Crace, the sketch writer, I used to be the sketch writer years ago, sometimes you can tell the truth with the sketch. And um, he pointed out, uh, I'm not sure I agree with him, but it's a good point, that Boris was expecting Starmer to do that, and Starmer decided just to let him go hang on it uh, and talk about uh, COVID, which is, matters to most people, it matters to most newspapers, if you look at them, COVID, not uh, breaking the law, uh, uh, was on the front page of the Daily Mail all week, uh, breaking the laws, page 5 and 10. Um, so he just, uh, you know, let it pass and uh, shot Boris's fox, you might say, at the end of it, if you remember, people yes. who were watching, he had to have a rant on his own, nobody asked him about it, so he had about two minutes of nonsense. Surprised the speaker didn't call him out on it, but the speaker's been quite sharp with him, so I suppose he has to pick his fights too. Anyway, there we are. Um, I think Starmer's playing um, uh, quite a crafty and capable hand, but he's got to make himself at some point more interesting, make himself look as if he's enjoying the job more, lighten up a bit. Few jokes say eh? he's not a jokey guy. Um, we just, uh, the public needs to get him to know him better. To be yes. calm competent, not a pyrotechnic idiot, might be a look pretty good in four years' time. And, and, and finally, talking of pyrotechnic idiots, obviously you were, yeah. you were Washington correspondent of The Guardian for, for three or four years, I, I think, at a particularly interesting time in American politics. The, I, I need to, I, I need to, your reassurance that, that Donald Trump is not going to uh, surprise us again and, and beat Joe Biden. How do you think it's going to it's going to play out? And, and what are the, I mean, are the polls are the polls as as useful as American newspapers seem to think they are? Um, I think it's a good question because it's very difficult. I wouldn't bet much on Biden winning. Um, 
you know, Biden's a decent guy, he's a moderate, he's a centrist, everybody knows him, most people like him, I say most people, not, uh, uh, <clears throat> not uh, Trump supporters in Mississippi, but that's okay, there aren't too many of them uh, in Mississippi. Uh, uh, the question is, uh, can he hold it together? Uh, will, will this rather passive, rather stuck-in-his-basement campaign actually work? Mm. Can they have Trump on the, at the TV debates? Do you remember last time uh, Mrs. Clinton let Trump walk, or, uh, walk behind her from his yeah. lectern? And I thought that was the moment she lost. If it wasn't yes. that, the use of the word deplorables, which was itself deplorable. Uh, she wasn't a good candidate. I thought in 2008 a beatable candidate. I thought so again in 2016 when she lost. Uh, I think Biden is a better bet, uh, but he's obviously not, uh, he's not Barack Obama, who has considerable intellect. What he has that Obama lacked was a certain sort of human warmth. Uh, Mrs. Obama did the warmth bit in that relationship mm. uh, as a sort of uh, woman who can fill and warm a room. Biden is better, but he is 77. He shouldn't have been the candidate. And as for Kamala Harris, I think she was his best pick, but I haven't formed a judgment about her. She can sound a bit cross sometimes, and she's got things in her background which aren't uh, particularly easy. So uh, is Trump beaten? No, he's not beaten yet, I'm afraid. And even if he is beaten, unless he's beaten by a landslide, he's made it pretty clear he's going to fight dirty to retain the White House. Um, why? I don't think he really wanted to do the job any more than Boris. I guess he must be scared of being sent to jail. Yes. He's done so many things. Um, I was in the presence in a pub in London last year of a New York Manhattan tax lawyer, a man who knew Washington very well. Here's a, a note on which to cheer you up as we finish. He said, discussing this subject, well, he said, at the end of the day, the state of New York will send him to jail if nobody else does. And that's because sooner or later, they're going to get his tax returns. And since he spent four or five years uh, denying the American public the privilege of seeing them, unlike any other candidate for the last 50 years, uh, we're all hoping there's something quite interesting in them. Uh, follow the money. Follow the money. Well, let's hope we get to follow it from uh, from early November, in, uh, and rather than uh, rather than in November 2024. Um, what a pl what a pleasure to speak to you again, Michael. It's uh, it's nice. lovely yep. to hear from you. Um, thanks for everything. Uh, uh, you do in the in the new European have been a wonderful thing. You've been with us virtually from the first issue, I believe. Not quite, but um, uh, November, I think. And you know, and Michael White and Alistair Campbell reunited in. No, uh, no we don't, we don't talk about that. It was a long time ago. A lesson, a lesson for us all. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Michael. It is wonderful to hear Michael. from. you. Michael, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And I thought you handled Steve's naughty little half question at the end there very well as well, with, with great dignity. And it was, it was great to sit back and listen to you two chat there and not, not do any work. So thanks very much, Michael. We'll, we'll have you on again soon. And, we'll, and we look forward to reading your, your ongoing commentary on this, on this um, incredible time in politics in the new European. Um, dear listener, we will return after this with Brexiteer of the Week. Brexiteer of the Week. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Now, Steve, um, Michael was great, by the way, wasn't he? That was superb. I'm sure Terrific. we'll have him on again soon. Um, well, let's do those quiz questions, and then we'll do Brexiteer of the Week. 
Okay, so there were, you got the first one right, didn't you? I got you? the first one right. You I attempted was... to subvert the, um, I did. The, 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 the system completely. Um, I'm a disruptor. Uh, so the second question, my second question was, in the 1974 general election, what Liberal Party slogan was criticised mm. because it sounded like it was encouraging voters to throw up? Uh, oh, um... Uh, uh, I I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. It was uh, it was one more heave, <laughs> one more heave, which is what uh, which is what Jeremy Thorpe uh, used, ah. to, used to say during the campaign. Um, they very did. Yeah, I mean, one more heave. Up, they ended up that campaign uh, with nineteen point three percent. Of the votes, uh, and that tr- that translated to a tremendous uh, a tremendous uh, thirteen seats won. So uh, an, an incredible a long thing. way. Um, but one more heave, yes, uh, is uh, w- was that slogan? The nineteen ninety seven campaign slogan for the SNP, which was then successfully used by Barack Obama uh, in two thousand and eight. Was it also used by Bob the Builder? Uh, yes, it was. Yes, we can. It was Yes, We Can. Uh, I'd forgotten about Bob the Builder. Um, but yeah, he was first used by the SNP uh, in 1997. And Dwight Eisenhower, uh, his election slogan in 1952 was I Like Ike. What was it in 1956? Well, I'm guessing. I mean, I like Ike. He's very famous, of course. I'm, and I'm guessing, I don't know, I still like Ike. It is, I still like Ike. Oh! <laughs> I yes! still like Ike. <laughs> Uh, got paid for that. <laughs> and finally, the unofficial slogan of Musaji Bamji's successful campaign. He was uh, in 1992. He became Ireland's first Muslim MP. He was uh, a Labour MP. I think he, he, he only lasted one term. I think. I've no. I'm afraid I have no idea or whatsoever. His, the unofficial slogan of Musaji Bamji's campaign was, "You've tried the cowboys, now try the Indian." That's very clever. <laughs> tremendous slogan. That is fantastic. That is it absolutely is. fantastic. Hey, tell us about the piece you've written for the New European, because not only Michael White writes for the New Michael European, White you writes do for too. The New European. Michael, Michael White writes for the New European. James Ball writes for the New European. Alistair Campbell writes for the New European. Liz Gerrard, Mitch Benn, all these people. I also get to write for the New European, which is, I mean, it is absolutely fantastic. It hey, is like, do you know um, what? Do you remember... I was about to say it's like one of those. Um, uh, well, I was about to, to uh, recall a, a TV show from the 1970s, which is now, uh, which is now cancelled because of the uh, the activities of its host. But it is very much like one of those things when you got to play with your play football with your childhood heroes. Um, uh, although James Ball was not my childhood hero, he's even younger than me. Even younger than me. I'm a middle-aged man. Uh, so is Mitch Ben. I think most people are younger than me. But uh, I used to. I used to have a column in the New European. You did. Do you, you know what happened to it? Do you know what happened? Uh, Axe. It's in shops now. The New European. It's got an oven ready, uh, an oven ready uh, cover with Boris Johnson's black and. Fa- I think it's actually better than the oven ready cover of Private Eye this week. Um, within it, I've written about something that i've been enjoying for quite a while in secret now it's like a secret oh. a guilty pleasure a oh. secret vice it is the sunday express's letters page the sunday express's letters page is is 
it is almost as surreal and amusing as Viz's letters page. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to read you a couple of letters out, which I've, I've mentioned in the column. Uh, Maurice Llewellyn from Clop Hill in Bedfordshire this week. He was fuming about HS2. He said it's a pipe dream that's going to cost at least 200 billion. It's a white elephant that lacks connectivity to all our major conurbations. And that is, you would say that is a point of view. Um, and then I was sort of going, well, that's, that's fairly sensible for the Sunday Express Let's page. Then I read on, uh, he continued, a far better project would be to adapt it as a monorail system so it stops at major <laughs> junctions and serves commuters east and west all the way up to London. And if you think about that, what Morris, uh, what Morris Llewellyn from Clophill in Bedfordshire is propagating there is the idea that we should build a whole new rail network on top of the other one, which, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? Um, monorail? Monorail, yeah, monorail. <laughs> Uh, Peter Madsen from Hoddesdon in Hertfordshire uh, 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 a week previously. uh, This is his solution to the migrant boat problem. Simply use the stranded cruise ships anchored off Weymouth, move them to to Dover, interview those caught on board, fast-track their claims, and then the unsuccessful ones just ship back to Calais. No appeals, end of story, job done. There you go. So that's the sort of thing uh, that you find uh in the uh in the the daily uh, the sunday express uh letters page um oh i've got one more uh here we go let us not forget the political correctness i I didn't write down this bloke's name let's not forget the political correctness was concocted by two marxists as a weapon using the values of democracy to destroy democracy itself let's also remember the penchant for the world socialist cult to cover their activities by masquerading as science institutes, pressure groups, and charity funds. That's and the podcasts. sort of stuff you get in there. It's amazing, isn't it? That's I, brilliant. I, mean, I think, Steve, who, do you think you could try and get a letter published in there? And that would be, yeah. I'd like you to do, do it. it. Yeah, but I think, I, think, I think for the purposes of, of fairness, I think you should try and get it published in your own name. That would be wonderful. See if you but can that, do that. That would, be, that would be fantastic. That would be a glorious, glorious day of victory. I, I mean, I have never sniffed glue, but I imagine the rush <laughs> that you get from from reading that is similar to uh, to, to, to what you uh, to, to what you get from um, from sniffing up the old the old glory. And um, and and frankly, you know, you don't. Who needs class A drugs and all that kind of stuff when you can mainline the Sunday Express direct from your local newsagents, Extinction Rebellion willing. For one pound seventy every week, so check out the piece and then um, and then uh, and then go and uh, go and inhale the Sunday Express. Don't buy it, of course. Just just turn. I think it's usually about page forty six. So just turn to that surreptitiously in your news in your news agent and see what madness um, is occurring. Talking of madness, shall we do the Brexiteers of the week? Yeah, I actually started dancing like madness then when you said that. I well, doing I it. mean, you have to socially distance madness. Um, Mike Barson and... Yeah, they and wouldn't be able to do the cover of their first album. They wouldn't be able to do that, would they? No, of course not. No. Who, what are other groups with big... Uh, the So Solid crew, I think they've probably split up by now, haven't yeah. they? There was a lot of them. There was, was a lot, lot of them. Lot of them, wasn't there? The Polyphonic Spree. There was about 20 of the Polyphonic Spree, if you remember. There was, there was tons of them. Who else has got a lot of members? Um, Arcade Fire got quite a lot of members. Oh, the Arcade Fire, that's who I was going to say earlier on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they'd be, I mean, 
there's a husband and wife and a brother in the in the arcade fire, isn't there? So I believe so. Form one bubble, and That's then right. support bubble of the other musicians. LCD sound system. There's an awful lot of them as well. I can tell you. Um, the um, so, uh, if now if they'd been, could they perform on the same stage, or would you have to have one half of arcade fire on like the second stage at Glastonbury and one yeah. half on the main stage? And then they play together, and they beam it onto a screen, so it looks. I, I've, I've, I've figured out music festivals. Don't you worry. Don't yeah, you worry. That sounds so, good. Maybe, maybe a return to Live Aid with half of the band, one band playing in Philadelphia, and half of the other band playing in London. Did you read that? Uh, there was an article in the Sunday Times magazine two weeks ago, I think. About um, it was an interview with, with Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Oh yeah. Who are, they're they're flogging goat's head soup again. They are, yes. Um, flogging a dead goat. Um, and they were talking. It was a really sycophantic piece, by the way. Um, and the interviewer, whose name escapes me, uh, said that one of the one of the, the the Rolling Stones song, what's it called, Ghost Town or something. Oh yeah, living was, in a ghost town or whatever. Living yeah. in a ghost town was the artistic, the artistic moment of the lockdown. It was the, it was a brilliant song. I returned to the, the form of their work in the sixties and early seventies, and uh, the band also managed to pull off an incredible performance on the stay at home telephone thing, tele, tele, you know, the the charity thing that they did. And I was like, what? I heard that song once and it sounded dreadful. And yeah, it was, it was a shocker. It's a real shocker. And secondly, oh, did you watch the same performance as me? Because, it, I mean, Charlie Watts was playing his cushions. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> he was playing his cushions. I mean, it was it was remarkable in that it wasn't as embarrassing as Elton John, uh, as Elton John and his... Well, he's, he's now known as... Just, he's now, after... How long has Elton John been in the game? 50 years has he been on? Oh, it would have been. Well, he, he used to be um, He used to be a session musician, didn't he? he used to, and he used to sing that, you remember, oh, younger listeners won't remember this, and I barely do. I don't think I do, actually. Maybe, I, I think my mum my used to have some old LPs where if you couldn't afford the actual LP... Top of the Pops LPs, yes. A session musician would would cover it for you. <laughs> And uh, he, so he used to do he used to do that kind of thing, and then he was I think he he played with some he played with some famous people he played piano on some f- quite famous stuff I reckon that must have been late sixties, so yeah he's been around for a long time he's been around for a long time he's I mean he's you know in his pomp he was absolutely fantastic wasn't he Elton John successfully battled drug addiction has returned you know he's become a beloved entertainer who still sells out gigs all over the world and um, National Treasure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He wrote a very, his autobiography is very, very funny. Uh, there's been films made of his life. And now because of his uh, desire to do something uh, for people during the, the lockdown, he is universally ridiculed as Dill Dandy for his terrible version of I'm Still Standing, which... Um, my son is suffering from an ingrowing toenail at the moment, which is extremely painful. And yesterday, uh, uh, something that one of the few things that brought a smile to his face yesterday was when we were laughing about Elton John, the terrible version of Ideal Dandy. <laughs> that was br- that was brilliant. It was anyway, brilliant. the Brexiteers of the week. 
Yes, please. Yes. Uh, let's start with um, Paul Baldwin. I've never uh-huh. heard of Paul Baldwin before. He's Daily Express head of news. Right. Uh, an amazing column in the Daily Express. Uh, this is how it began. There are about 750 million people in Europe, and it may be that only one of them truly understands Brexit. And we are really, like, really lucky that this man is David Frost. Uh, it went on in a similar vein, uh, uh, total fanboying. He said, Frost, almost from nowhere, is looking like the signing of the decade, a veritable Lionel Messi of the negotiating world. And that is obviously very apt, because until last week, Lionel Messi was trying to duck out of an agreement with his club, Barcelona. He was refusing to negotiate with them. And since then, he's been moaning about how unfair it is to anybody who will listen, which is David Frost's trade talk strategies in a nutshell. Kirsteen Hare uh, is the Scottish Tory leader, Douglas Ross's big new signing. He is, she is uh, his new advisor. Uh, Kirsteen Hare used to be... Um, uh, as uh, an MP for Angus, Conservative MP for Angus, she lost her seat to the SNP last December. And one of the reasons she lost is that she said that she hadn't taken part in the uh, the 2016 referendum because she found it too hard to choose between leave and remain. Uh, she said then, I didn't vote on Brexit. I took the decision not to vote on it. It was very difficult because you had two arguments very strong on both sides. I just ultimately couldn't make that decision and I thought I would therefore go with the will of the UK. If I'm honest, I thought we would remain, but I left it to everyone else. Uh, that's Kirstine Hare. She's going to help uh, Douglas Ross make the big decisions, uh, which sounds great to me. Nigel Farage, this intolerance must be fought. Nigel Farage said about extinction, rebellions, print works, blockades. Um, but he's open to intolerance of other kinds, isn't he? I mean, not just the intolerance for which we know him, um, but the the fact that last week the Australian papers reported that he'd had a secret breakfast meeting with Tony Abbott, uh, Britain's new trade advisor, last Thursday morning. That was bizarrely at around the same time when Hat Mancock was on with Kay Burley, and Kay Burley said to Hat Mancock, um, this bloke's a misogynist and a homophobe, and Hat Mancock said, well, he's also an expert in trade. Um, yeah. <laughs> no doubt Farage will uh, love Tony Abbott's words on migrants last year. Uh, he said, the problem with the people who've been swarming across the borders in Europe in very recent times is that you don't get any impression that they come to join. You get the impression that they come to change. Absolute nonsense uh, from uh, Tony Abbott. Uh, we did, I we did a bit. Say, I, don't, I don't know if you listened, but me and, no, me I don't, and Matt yeah, did, uh, did a little skit. My favourite Tony Abbott is The Onion. Have you seen that? Yes, absolutely remarkable. It's extraordinary. What is he doing eating a raw onion with the skin on? Yeah, Madness. well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, just a, an amazing thing. Well, uh, I did think if it if it if you'd have been on that week, I was gonna I was gonna see if me and you could eat a raw onion. Eat a raw onion. Um, but maybe we'll save that for for when when Tony Abbott uh, takes up his post and when he makes his first, um, you know. Terribly inappropriate comment. We'll we'll try eating a, a raw. I think it's a red onion, a raw red onion with the skin, live on the New European podcast. Tremendous, tremendous. It's a date in honour. Uh, talking of totally bizarre things, the feel-good story of 2020 so far must be Aaron Banks uh, 
he's at war with Noel Edmonds, isn't he? The, the, the man who loves No Deal is, is at war with the man behind Deal or No Deal. Um, Aaron Banks says that Noel Edmonds has run off to New Zealand to avoid paying him a 1.3 uh, million debt. The dispute arises from an insurance policy which Noel took out with Aaron, one of Aaron Banks' uh, insurance companies to cover his legal costs. He was, I don't know if you know this, but Noel Edmonds has been in, involved in a long-running uh, court battle to recover um, some money from Lloyd's Banking Group. He, he put some money in Lloyd's Banking Group. Uh, he was subject to a fraud uh, and he's been suing them to get his money back. He's now won back uh, five million quid, um, but he hasn't paid Aaron Banks yet, according to Aaron Banks. Uh, for his part, Noel Edmonds denies any wrongdoing. He says he's moved to Auckland not to hide out from Aaron Banks, but to launch a station playing music for houseplants. Um, which amazingly is a species uh, that Aaron Banks' New Zealand first party can count on uh, in next month's general election, surely. I mean, if, if anyone's going to vote for uh, New Zealand first, it's going to be houseplants. Uh, Aaron, uh, Noel Edmonds called Aaron Banks' accusations absolutely disgusting lies. And of course, absolutely disgusting lies is something for which Aaron Banks has got no form whatsoever. So, no, that's true. Uh, Mr. Blobby's pal is coming from uh, for what that. Was... It's not the Brexiteer of the Week, though. The Brexiteer of the Week is Andrea Jenkins. Ah. Um, the uh, Brexit crazy MP with the um, with the the emphasis on crazy. Um, she has tweeted, uh, sorry, last uh, this week um, she uh, appeared on Sky News. She um, defended the government's actions in uh, attempting to break the law um, over the withdrawal agreement and uh, the New Europeans website, which covers breaking news, pointed this out. And Andrea Jenkins tweeted, as a proud Brexiteer, it is always a badge of honour when sore loser remainers in the New European take offence at me, putting forward the case to one of the expressed democratic will of the British people. And then she added the hashtag, get over it, you lost. Um, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm going to read out some of the comments that were, came underneath the tweet. Uh, at V Dweller uh, said, I thought the expressed will of the people in December was for the government to deliver Boris Johnson's oven ready deal and support the withdrawal agreement he renegotiated. So isn't re reneging on that agreement going against the will of the people? Good point. At Bakehouse 2016 said... Is hashtag get over it, you lost, how you respond to your constituents, Andrea? I was under the impression that MPs, honourable MPs, represented all of their constituents, irrespective of their votes. Apparently not. And the great Sarah Phelps, um, who you will know is a, a fine screenwriter, she wrote the tremendous um, Agatha Christie adaptations, the, the one with uh, John Malkovich as, as Poirot, uh, which I think was on last Christmas or maybe the Christmas before, was particularly fine, but she does great work, Sarah Phelps. She is at Phelpsy Sarah, uh, and she replied, get over it, you won, and the prize is shitting in your hands three times a day forever. Uh, so, uh, well done, Andrea Jenkins. You've incurred the wrath of Sarah Phelps, and you are the Brexiteer of the week. Congratulations, um, Andrea Jenkins. I believe that is your first time as Brexiteer of the week. Uh, wear that badge with pride. Um, Steve, I think we're about there, aren't we? What should we listen to do right now? 
what a great podcast that was. I'm, I'm, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's lovely to be back. It was great to talk to Michael White. Um, and we've got uh, we've got something great coming up next week as well with uh, with uh, the, the the fine writer Jim uh, Jim Felton James Felton. Uh, you'll know him from his book, um, which is called I think it's called Fifty Two Times Britain Was a Bell End, and he has followed that up with a history of the the Sun newspaper. So we'll be talking about that next week. That is going to that is going to be good, and the best book ever written about. Um, tabloid journalism is Stick It Up Your Punter, which is an excellent story. The Rise and Fall, I think it's called The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Sun newspaper. Check that out. Very, very good. I think it's hilariously funny. And definitely the, the, definitely the, the, um, the, the most honest and true version of events that happen in, in many newsrooms, not ours, of course. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. I am, a, you know, whatever you do, I'm, you might not like the Sun's Politics, but I do like tabloid newspapers, and I do quite like the Sun. So I'm going to be probably playing a bit of uh, bit of the other side next week. Advocate, uh, that is it. I will be playing Devil's Advocate. Um, if you enjoyed uh, this podcast, yeah. please subscribe um, at your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a great review; it's really important. The New Europeans in shops now. It's three pounds. It's worth three pounds of your money. Uh, if you go to our website, theneweuropean.co.uk, you can get 13 issues for £13 if you're a new subscriber. If you go to a different website, tneshop.co.uk, uh, you can buy all manner of TNE merch, including face masks in a variety of visuals, including the European flag and the message rejoin, uh, and various other things. You can join our Facebook readers group. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow me um, at uh, Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y, or you can follow the New European at the New European. I would love, and I mentioned this before, to get some TNE podcast merch, but we probably need some love from you guys to prompt that. So if you want some uh, Hello Snowflakes masks yes. or T-shirts or some Little Bit of Butter No Cheese! Probably not the strongest of the two catchphrases that um, that have come out of this podcast merch. Then let us know on Twitter or in our emails or something, and you know, we, it's something we would be delighted to look into, even if just I bought them all. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Porit P O R I T, which leaves me simply to thank Michael White, our fantastic guest, and. Um, he was far more sensible than we are when talking politics, isn't he? Uh, you, Steve, of course, as always, welcome back from your holiday. Matt Withers was the man behind the production, and uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing from Matt again next week. Until then, Mr. Campbell, play your bagpipes. Here you go. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore, 
For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.